0: The quarter percent. The Cosby in South Korea down about 1.6%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open 420 points lower. That's about 1.6%. In the commodities markets at the moment, Brent Crude Oil is trading at $54.95 a barrel. Gold is uh, moving up. It's at $1,641 an ounce, about $6 higher near the New York close. And the US dollar a little bit firmer against the Japanese yen. It's trading at 110 and a third right now. I'll be back at 11 o'clock with Hugh Chiverton to give you um, coverage and analysis of the budget and then back on Money Talk tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock where we'll analyse the budget. The weather forecast for today is going to be fine, warm during the day, maximum temperature of around 27 degrees and windy in the next couple of days, warm and humid during the weekend, 22 degrees right now, 91% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news.
1: A senior official from the World Health Organization has warned countries to prepare immediately for the further spread of the coronavirus. Bruce Aylward said many nations simply weren't ready to contain the disease. His comments came as more European countries confirmed their first cases, while the number of infections in Italy rose to around 300. Iran has reported 15 deaths, but some reports suggest the number is far higher. The WHO's Christian Lindmeier urged all countries to be ready.
2: It's one of these scenarios which we have been warning against uh, for a couple of weeks already uh, that countries have to be prepared for the virus literally knocking at their door uh, and medical authorities have to be ready, medical staff has to be trained and there needs to be the, the protective measures for the population and the medical authorities at the same time.
1: The financial secretary, Paul Chan, will deliver his budget in LegCo today and he's expected to announce the SAR's first fiscal deficit in 15 years. Mr Chan has warned the shortfall is likely to be the largest ever, driven by the fallout from the coronavirus epidemic and coming on the heels of months of anti-government protests. Here's Richard Pine.
3: Paul Chan has been warning that Hong Kong is likely to see its biggest budget deficit ever, and with Mr Chan's earlier remarks that the deficit wouldn't top 3% of GDP, that could put the deficit in the region of $60 to $80 billion. There have been vocal calls from across the political spectrum to dip into the government's vast reserves and augment the $30 billion anti-epidemic fund with a $10,000 cash handout. But the financial secretary has already lowered expectations of any sweeteners. He says that because of limited government resources, his budget can't satisfy everybody and priority should be given to supporting businesses and protecting jobs.
1: European Union ministers have approved their chief negotiator, Michel Barnier's, guidelines for forging a new relationship with Britain. They encompass, they encompass trade, policing, criminal justice, defence and security. The guidelines call for a level playing field that will stand the test of time and a balance of rights and obligations. Mr Barnier reminded Britain that it could not expect the benefits it had when it was a member. The UK cannot expect high quality access to the single market, If it is not prepared to accept guarantees, that competition remains open and fair, free and fair. There must be robust level playing field safeguards to avoid unfair competitive advantages. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
4: Good morning. Welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chivers and your co-host today is Karen Ko. Karen, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Hugh. It's Budget Day and you can hear the Financial Secretary, Paul Chan, deliver the government's spending plans for the coming year at LegCo at 11 o'clock. Here on RTHK, Cable, we'll be broadcasting that live and uh, introducing it uh, with Peter Lewis. And on Friday, between 8 and 9 in the morning, you can talk to him directly in a special uh, phone-in programme. That's between uh, 8 and 9, your chance. Put your questions and comments to the financial secretary himself. That's coming up on Friday. Well, today we're going to be focusing on the economic impact of COVID-19, how different businesses and the non-profit sector as well are faring financially, and what the government could do to lessen the impact. As so ever, we want to hear from you. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, BackChat Chat and RTHK Radio Three. You can email us Bank at RTHK.HK, or you can give us a call. And our telephone number is two three three eight eight two six six. That's two three three eight eight. To 266 if you uh, want to join in, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, just before we uh, come to today's topic, uh, I think some uh, emails relating to uh earlier topic let's start off with uh, some emails following up on on issues uh from yesterday okay well we were talking about uh masks and attitudes different attitudes to wearing masks uh nigel f says while there is endless talk much of it ill-informed on and around the subject of mask or no mask i've not yet heard any detailed medical discussion regarding exactly how the virus might in fact pass from person to person it appears that transmission through touching infected surfaces is the likely most common route, hence the importance of reducing contact with such surfaces, regular and proper hand washing and not touching the mouth, nose or eyes without first washing one's hands. As regards direct person-to-person transmission, seemingly this requires the presence of bodily fluids in the form of droplets. Obviously this would be the case with a cough or sneeze, but query the extent to which simply breathing in the normal way might distribute any significant amount of virus-carrying droplets and if it does over. What range? There's been no proper information provided in this regard. In particular, breathing by the nose with a closed mouth may well represent minimal risk of either transmitting or receiving, either because of few or no droplets or exhaled or inhaled and also the very limited range. Someone who's fastidious regarding their own hand hygiene minimises contact with public surfaces, for example, handrails or door handles, doesn't cough or sneeze in public, uh, avoids being in very close proximity, in particular breathing directly in the face of other people People they don't know, uh, and in any event makes a point of breathing via their nose, might well feel that a mask is not absolutely uh, is not sorry is not necessary absent any other extenuating circumstances. The idea that people breathing in the normal way can pass or receive the virus while simply walking down the average street or passing for a fleeting moment other people seems a little unrealistic. In short, I am with Mike. That comes from Nigel F, who says, uh, P.S. My office building put in place temperature scanning several days ago, but the staff involved, who after all are exposed to hundreds of people daily, insisted on standing directly in front of the people being scanned and scanning the forehead. And though the, ma- the staff wear masks, thereby unnecessarily directly breathed on and also breathed in from those being scanned, now at least they've learnt that a scan can be taken from the side of the head and also to turn their own head away so as not to directly exchange breath with the person being scanned that's uh, nigel f thank you very much indeed for those uh, those comments and uh one says uh hey rthk tuesday's show calls for a comparison of the treatment of the issue of uh, racism over coronavirus by rthk and other media outlets and there are links to stories in cnn uh, deutsche Welle. BBC Guardian, uh, two from The Guardian. And uh, uh, one says that RTHK Bank Chat invited two male guests to comment on the message from a female listener who wished to, wished to draw attention to the experience of a female victim of an outrageous racist assault in Europe. And the two laughed it off with long rants, with trivial, unrelated comments to dilute the seriousness of the matter, filling the airtime with nonsense from two men who obviously couldn't care less about victims of racism. BBC. CNN, etc., treated it as a serious matter that warrants discussion, and want to give victims of racist abuse a voice. Your listeners can decide for themselves what RTHK's priorities are compared to CNN, BBC, and countless media outlets. And that comes that signed uh, from one. Uh, Thank you very much indeed for that one. Did you one? Were you the same person who wrote the original letter? Just, <laughs> a, just, a, just a question there. Yeah. Uh, good jo- question. Jo- yeah. Uh, joining us uh, for this, uh, this part of the program we have now, uh, Mark Erder, who's the Director of Film and Creative Agency, uh, APV, uh, uh, a medium-sized business in, in Hong Kong, and Andrew Lim, who's Program Director at Asian Charity Services, uh, a charity uh, in Hong Kong that helps training and capacity building for other charities.
3: Yeah, well, let's start off with Mark. Uh, good morning, Mark. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Karen.
4: Hi.
3: So, first of all, just tell us a bit about your business and and the situation you find yourself in now. Um, Probably started with the protests last year and now exacerbated by coronavirus.
5: Yes, I mean, we're, um, you know, we're an SME. Uh, We are a video agency servicing everybody from um, banks, the financial community, um, uh, insurance companies, hotels, industry uh, manufacturers etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know, we're we're the ones who do the video for their um, uh, internal and external communications and um, the thing that we found last year with the uh, demonstrations was that people were afraid to um, to speak people were afraid to uh, take a position to, um, to basically communicate with um, either their staff or um, the external community. And so they started shutting down on the type of work that um, that we can provide. And then that rolled into what's happening now with the virus and, um, and it hit us um, even more severely. But we're still kind of lumbering along with work in progress and surprisingly with a few um, quotes for some upcoming jobs, but I have to say that the the volume of work has just plummeted in the last um, seven or eight months.
3: And, Mark, you've been here a long time, so you were running the business also during SARS. How does this compare with then?
5: Um, It's totally different. I mean, also, our business model at that time was very different because we were doing much more news than than we're doing now. I mean, we do get, you know, the odd news job here and there, but at that time, when all of our corporate work tanked. Our news work um, just grew, and we were servicing something like 15 or 16 international broadcasters who were coming here to do um, to do news coverage and also documentaries out of the UK. So at that time, economically, we weren't impacted the same way we are now.
3: And how many employees do you have who, who are impacted?
5: Um, there are about 13 of us.
3: Okay, so if it continues like this, what? how does the future look? <laughs>
5: um, you know, it's not great, but, you know, we, um, you know, as I say, we have quite a number of, of jobs that uh, that we're, we're still able to quote for, and some of them are quite sizable, which, I, which really quite surprised me. Um, but, you know, it, it just means um, possibly having to um, put more money back into the company and find other ways of... Um, of getting through it. Because the one thing that I've learned from all the years that I've been here is that it's really important to be optimistic about this and that in all situations that we've had here, whether it's political or medical, you know, we've bounced back or the community has bounced back. And so we've been fortunate in that um, in each one of these situations, you know, there's been an eventual uptick, and I'm just now waiting for that uptick.
4: I mean, I hope your staff aren't listening, but I mean, if you've got to cut costs, if you're not getting the business, what do you, how would you do that? Would you lay people off? Would you, would you change where you're located or something like that? Are there other costs that you can cut? Well, we changed
5: our location, um, last year from Wan Chai to Wong Hang, and that became a, a major savings, mm. which was, um, you know, quite a, in, in some ways an unexpected gift. Um, I have looked at various ways of um, of implementing cost cutting measures, but the thing that I've realized in the short term is that it's going to hurt the employees more than it's going to help the company so I decided at the moment not to do that um, I just just can't I can't bring myself to do that you know if I would go was to go to um, mandatory um, uh, holiday time without pay or you know, a reduced work week and reducing the, uh, the pay packets, you know, seriously, it will impact the the, the staff more than it's really going to help uh, the company. Yeah,
4: um, yeah. I'm just,
5: a, I'm trying to avoid doing that.
4: Yeah, you meant, you know, rent is obviously a big portion for, uh, you know, a big expense for a lot of people. Have you, for example, have you talked to your landlord? Is there any chance of the landlord, you know, reducing the uh, rent?
5: We have, yes, we have ongoing conversations with them, but I also know that they happen to be in a pretty bad place themselves. So I don't know how uh, how much good that is going to do. You know, and I've looked into these various government schemes, and um, the government has really, really sadly let us down. You know, they have a whole range of schemes that they're promoting, but when you drill into them and try to get anything. Um, going, have them implemented, it's next to impossible.
3: Can you you tell us, Mark, tell us a bit more about that. Like, what kind of schemes have you looked into?
5: Well, for instance, in December, we were invited to participate in a um, a, a video conference um, in in Singapore. And um, we talked to the government about their, I think it's their EMF scheme. And they would give us back 50% of our expenses for going to this conference where we'd be able to market the company and um we we had a lot of phone calls with them and they said yeah looks like we should have a pretty good chance of getting everything back we proceeded we went ahead we did what we had to do that we then you know filed the paperwork submitted all the receipts and invoices and they've come back and said oh well you didn't have a booth at this conference so you don't qualify so Mm -hmm. we're not able to get the money back um the government promotes the fact that they're making loans easier for SMEs. But then when you go to the banks, they say, well, we're not participating in this loan scheme. Or if you have an existing loan, they, um, they're, they're supposed to forgive some of the interest temporarily, but they're not doing that. So the longer this goes on, the harder it's going to be for companies like mine to get these um, kinds of loans because we'll be in, the, in a worse and worse um, financial situation.
4: Mm. What would you like the administration to do then? What would you like to hear, ideally, from the from the uh, financial secretary today?
5: Well, from what I understand, the uh, schemes that have been set up by Lee ka Shing for the F and B industry are very simple and straightforward,
4: and, and very fast uh, as well. I mean, the money has gone straight; yeah. it's already, already already gone to them, has not it?
5: What I understand, that they, um, they're very fast, and they're very simple. And I would just like to see that these um, schemes they're talking about are, are simplified and are implemented. Um, they get some traction in the uh, press you know, promoting it, but then when you try to do something about it, you can't really get it affected.
3: Mm. So, what what would be mo- most useful for a business uh, like yours, and, and maybe others that are similar? Would it be something like interest-free loans, or would it be, um, you know, um, grants or some some of the tax breaks? What would be the most helpful,
5: oh, or, or, or a combination thereof? Mm. I mean, I'm not even asking for uh, you know a, a total interest-free loan, but if they if they could if they could reduce the interest rate. You know, I mean, like I think the government-backed schemes are at four percent. The regular backed schemes, bank schemes, are at ten percent. But the banks, you know, direct you away from the government scheme because they want the, the higher interest rate. Um, even if we could just qualify for a four.
4: Also also joining us now is uh, Angeline Lim, as I mentioned, Programme Director at Asian Charity Services, ACS. Uh, Good morning to you, Angeline. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, So, yeah, how, from your point of view, what are the NGOs saying to you and the charity sector uh, in Hong Kong? uh, How are they faring financially? Um, Well, we can
6: probably only speak to a part of that sector. We work with small uh, impactful charities. Most of them operate on an annual expense of um, less than five million Hong Kong. Most of them have employees and staff ratio of about five to ten members. Um, we, interestingly, last week we worked with um, a couple of other NGOs, charities to poll um, more than 90 charities actually who together serve more than 1 million service users or beneficiaries to find out exactly how their work and funding was currently being impacted by the coronavirus um, situation. And um, sadly, all the respondents came back to say that they were facing a reduction in funding. 64% of them are facing a reduction of more than 30% of their funding, and 18% out of that 64% 18% 18% are facing a reduction of more than 70% of their funding. So if you're talking about you know small enterprises, which really are operating on a budget of around $5 million a year, that's a really big hit to the bottom line. And like you know, Mark is saying in the business world as well, the fixed um, expenses continue. There's rents to pay, there's salaries to be paid. Those costs don't go away. So, if the funding is going down by seventy percent, um, you know, inevitably the, the product delivery and the service to the end users, so the marginalised and the, the underserved who are living out in, you know, Sham Shui Po, they're going to be the ones who are really hardest hit. We also asked um, the charities we polled um, how they saw a reduction in numbers of their service users. And again, unfortunately, you know almost 50% of them indicated that they'd experienced a reduction of more than 70% of the number of service users uh, for their services. So given that we're talking about 90 charities serving more than 1 million service users, if 50% of them have indicated that there's a reduction of more than 70% in the number of service users that they've, they're able to work with during this time, that's almost 500,000, 400,000 um, service users mm. have been impacted. So, and, you know, these are really, really big numbers.
3: And, Angeline, um, are many of these or some of these charities funded by um, private money, like foundations, or, or maybe in some cases just individuals?
6: Um, all of them are, actually. So, the survey that we conducted was with uh, amongst charities who are non-subvented, so they're not receiving any support from the government, um, and basically you're relying on the private dollar, whether it's coming from corporates, family foundations or individuals.
3: Okay, so would this be a time when the government should be proactive in in actually saying to charities like this, uh, you know, if you need help to keep your services going, we can be there to provide it?
6: Absolutely, that's the golden question. and. Um, you know, that, I, I think just like in the business world, the charities and the social sector is suffering as well. Um, I think we were just made to find out that the emergency fund um, doesn't actually make any provision for the social sector apart from, uh, you know, the arts and, and, and entertainment fields. But, you know, when you're talking about small grassroots frontline charities who are out there serving the poor, uh, we really could, in the best of times, you know, we could use with uh, use more cash flow, more manpower, more staff, more volunteers. But now, coming off of the back of you know what's been a terrible year so far um, in terms of funding, in terms of volunteer numbers, volunteer numbers have fallen as well because you know people are now afraid to just come out and help deliver those lunch boxes or help go see a visually impaired elderly person who's living on the seventh floor um, and, you know, living alone as well. So it's been a difficult time for the social sector as well. Um, Apart from an allocation in the emergency fund in terms of immediate term um, solutions, I think, you know, as Mark said, you know, we were... I think everyone was, was very pleasantly surprised and um, heartened by how well and effectively the Lee Cashing um fund worked in terms of actually getting monies out to SMEs quickly. I have friends in the SME world as well and you know, it it really helped to have that cash flow moving again quickly. You know, if the government is able to, you know, consider even matching, you know, corporate funding, which is coming out now. Swire's just come up with a $3 million fund as well. If the government could look at matching that and having a streamlined application process, a streamlined dissemination process to distribute funds, I mean, would make a world of difference to the social
4: sector. Yeah, I mean, it was striking, wasn't it, when I it was Law Kwong said that they, they, they hoped they could get the money out within four months Uh, which does seem, you know, quite a slow process. All these businesses will be closed. Yeah, quite. Well,
6: yeah, Uh, I think, yeah, small businesses will, like Mark's, you know, will be very hard hit, mm -hmm. but then so will the social sector. I think, you know, a lot has been made of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a financial center, one of the leading financial centers in the world. You know, obviously, yes, the, the... government is right to focus on shoring up businesses and protecting jobs, but there are jobs to be protected in the social sector as well. The social sector is not as heralded publicly, you know, as, as high a profile in Hong Kong as perhaps the businesses do, but it's serving a critical service that, you know, I think increasingly businesses are partnering with the social sector to help provide funding, to provide volunteers and If, you know, we all take a collaborative approach, if the government can also be a partner in terms of offering in the long term tax incentives, greater tax incentives to the corporates, greater tax incentives to people who make donations to, you know, Section 88 registered charities, and just helping to build awareness in the public of the social sector generally, it's just going to make this such a much
4: better place for yeah. all of us. In your survey you were saying that um, many or most of, in fact the, the charities said that they were facing reductions in, in funding. What? Why? What, do you know why that is? Um, because I thought a lot of the funding would be fairly reliable if it was from a family foundation, if it was corporate, if it's from the government. Isn't that kind of wouldn't that come through anyway? Um,
6: it's interesting. I think by the most part we want to hope that it will come through um, but with government as well as, you know, private funding in any sort of donation made, if it's a grant um, there are certain parameters that need to be hit by the um, organization. Again this would apply whether it's in the business world and you get an investment from a private investor or in the social sector where you're getting funding from a family foundation or the government. If those KPIs are not hit and if the funders are not flexible enough to take into account, you know the situation around us that Honestly, it's beyond anyone's control Um, if they're not flexible enough and those KPIs still need to be hit if they can't hit. If I can't have, you know, X number of volunteers working on my program, if I can't service X number of beneficiaries in any given time because of the coronavirus epidemic, then I'm not able to hit that KPI, and if I'm not able to hit that KPI, the funding may not come through because oftentimes the funding is after the event, so it's on a reimbursement basis.
4: So that's that's corporate inflexibility, not 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 the government's fault.
6: Well, I, I it I think it, it's not the government per se. Mm. In that particular case, in a situation where there are government grants or government support for certain um, entities in the social sector, I dare say, look, these are strange times. Who knows whether the funder will be flexible or not? We're all hoping and praying that they will be. But on the occasion where the funder is not and decides to stick to um, the, the grant conditions at the time when the grant was issued, then
4: it's very very difficult sure. the funding will dry up. Uh, uh, Mark Adder, um you know you, as you say you've been here a long time, uh you understand how the Hong Kong government works and it tries to prevent a uh, have a quite a, a business friendly environment and Hong Kong is known as a place with a business friendly environment. Um I don't want to be insensitive about this, uh, but you know are there is there money to be made here? Is there actually uh you know in, in a capitalist place like hong kong are there opportunities for innovation are there you know are there more could you do more online and so on and uh more work from home or something and start producing videos i mean i know that we've had to produce videos to replace events and and things like this you know is there money to be made as well isn't this uh i'm sure there is um and i haven't you know we and we've
5: discussed all the various ways that we could do it i mean one thing that we do do is we offer webcasting, hmm. and um, there's been a lot of that um, going on recently. In fact, next week will be consumed with webcasting, and that is so you know banks and other corporations, institutions can have meetings uh, between stakeholders from remote locations. So we provide the, um, the the system for them to do it, and if it's for a financial institution. You know it's all firewalled so that it can be done in a safe environment um, so, so yeah uh, you know, so I'm saying
4: you know I'm not saying exploit things or anything but there may be no, 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 there no. may I be mean, business opportunities at the same time
5: no absolutely I mean it's, it's thinking around the um, thinking around the problems and so and as we've um, done you know started as a, as a boutique news agency you know, we're we're getting um, approached by various uh, news organizations who want to um, to have some coverage. So we're, we're you know, we've got some things pending um, later in the month for um, for, for a European news um, agency.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: so I mean, there there are various things that, that that can be done, sure. You know, and we have and we talk about it, we think about it, and we try to um, to promote it where
4: we can. Okay. Well- Mark, we're out of time. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Director of Film and Creative Agency, APV. And uh, from ACS, Asian Charity Services, many thanks to Angeline Lim, who's uh, Programme Director there. We're going to have uh, legislator Kenneth Lung and uh, Vera Yun from the University of Hong Kong, an economist, uh, joining us after the news at nine. If you want to comment on uh, anything, especially with a money angle, uh, then uh, give us a call. Two three three eight eight two six six two six six it 's probably the best way to get in touch with us. And the weather forecast, it's going to be fine. Coastal mist at first, warm temperatures today up to 27 degrees. Uh, the latest reading is 22 Celsius with a relative humidity now of 88%.
1: Listening to the news on RTHK.
4: Welcome back, this is Bank Chat on a Wednesday morning with Karen Coe and me Hugh Tiverton. A reminder, it's Budget Day and the Financial Secretary will be delivering uh, in the Legislative of council is the plan, uh, the uh, budget the um, uh, potted version I think of the uh, or m- maybe the whole thing, anyway uh, 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 the government spending plans as it stands uh, for the uh, coming year, a lot of speculation on whether there will be a $10,000 handout or any kind of handout uh, or not. Well, you can hear it uh, from him uh, at uh, eleven o'clock this morning, uh, live uh, the simultaneous uh, interpretation will broadcast live here on uh, Radio Three, and uh, then the man himself, without simultaneous interpretation, uh, will be joining us to uh, face you, to face your questions and uh, comments, and uh, give his answers between eight and nine on Friday morning. So um, it's the usual number two three three eight eight two six six. If you want to talk to the financial secretary, uh, that's between eight and nine on uh, Friday. Friday morning, okay, some uh, emails um, uh, responding to the first part of the programme. We're talking this morning, uh, because of the budget, really about the economic impact of the uh, coronavirus and how the government might uh, make things a little bit better. Uh, John says, if the press doesn't ask... The government, to declare the actual disbursement every week, one year later you'll find the fund was not to be disbursed. Uh, there is a government 400 million IT fund. About 380 million has not been disbursed yet. That comes uh, from John in in Saikong. And a uh, different John says... Uh, Good morning. It's reported this morning that all government departments will resume work on Monday the 2nd of March. An interesting decision at a time when we still have three to four cases a day locally and the virus is spreading rapidly worldwide. My question is if droplets stroke vapour spread through the air, then active sports like soccer, tennis, for example, the vapour would hang in the air or probably spread within a few metres of each individual. So surely this is very dangerous. Question mark. That comes uh, from John. Uh, we'll see if we can put the, your points to uh, a uh, to a medical specialist on another occasion. Uh, and uh, Mike says, uh, with the subject line charity.org, uh, many so-called charity organisations, quote, collect donations for a fee. Uh, unquote. The mother organisation receives only a portion of the collected sums. In the States, when asked, the collecting organisation has to declare its role and the percentage they take off the top. The collectors can take as much as 90%. They don't always take that much, but they are obliged to disclose. Not in Hong Kong. Most collectors have no idea. And most are for profit. That comes uh, from Mike. Uh, OK. I don't know if most are for profit, uh, to be honest, uh, in Hong Kong, Mike. There, there are some people who do that, but I, I don't know how widespread it is. When yeah. We don't do it on, uh, on Operation Santa Claus. Uh, okay, some, uh, just before we go on, some other uh, emails relating to um, RTHK and RTHK coverage. Uh, Richard says, I see that RTHK has thought it newsworthy in spite of all the business and border closures, uh, new COVID-19 outbreaks and related deaths, the growing struggles of the poor. To air a story about Ted Hoy's second personal abuse of the legal system, this time to persecute a taxi driver. Uh, Why RTHK needs to continue doing this is beyond me. It is not as if RTHK journalists are taking a language class and seeing how many times they can use a particular term. For example, united front in a sentence or got fed a cracker every time they use that term. Uh, Andrew F uh, says Ted Hoy is a ubiquitous figure on TV at protests. You'll usually see him hogging the camera, getting right in the face of officers and behaving in a manner that would seem him get arrested anywhere in the world in his ongoing attempt to claim police brutality. Long before the protests, he was a master at this. If you want evidence, look no further than the Hong Kong Free Press video on YouTube shot at a council meeting where he feigns assault from another meeting and takes an epic pratfall that a Serie A... Serie a footballer would be proud of however his latest attempts to raise his own profile are much more disturbing organizing private prosecutions against those our criminal justice say have no case to answer the taxi driver's latest victim who video evidence shows was dragged from his taxi and savagely beaten unconscious with some protesters trying to finish him off with claw hammers only prevented from killing him by others physically restraining him the protesters started hitting the taxi before one enters the cab and grabs the wheel and we all saw what what tragically happens next Next, Ted Hoy has crowdfunded his private prosecution and is now mob funding his witness list while i 've no doubt in the current climate in Hong Kong that he will easily find thirty young impressionable black shirts that'll be happy to say they uh, they see it, uh, they see it uh, to say they see it any way he wants them to I hope he 's at least making them aware that perjury carries a custodial sentence. I hope people will finally see this guy for what he is utterly despicable. And uh, Peter says, uh, back, okay, with the subject line, why the constant attacks by Matthew? Peter says, what is it with Matthew that he is constantly personally attacking Richard, me, and other commentators who hold a different point of view? Even Hugh doesn't do that, although he has to bear the brunt of Richard's criticism of RTHK. Is that a brunt? Or is that a tickle? According to Matthew, everyone has to declare his political affiliation, otherwise he's a CCP troll, a WUMAO or a member of United Front, for which Matthew cannot even present any evidence. However, his personal attacks cut both ways. During the past couple of months, several bank accounts have been uncovered that make it pretty clear that a well-funded United Yellow Front exists, actually with millions of dollars at its disposal. Uh, pandems and anti-government groups have been found to recycle the same actors during protests at different locations uh, giving interviews to media claiming to be local residents uh, Matthew's constant personal attacks and attempted character assassinations just lead to the conclusion that he is a paid political hack by the United Yellow Front and his job is to silence any critical or pro-China voice what is most ironic and rather somewhat, somehow rather entertaining is that Matthew is so obsessed with his woke anti-China culture that he hasn't discovered that Hong Kong is part of China. Labelling locals Wu Mao, CCP trolls, etc. is as funny as if he would attack Americans for being pro-American while living in the United States. I bet Matthew, in his obsession, even would label Bernie Sanders a CCP troll. That comes uh, from Peter. Thank you very much indeed. Back to rthk. Yeah, H-K.
3: Great, um, lively debate there among listeners. Um, well, let's get back to our topic today, which is uh, the effect on businesses and the business sector of the coronavirus. And we're joined in this half of the programme by Kenneth Leung, uh, the accountancy sector lawmaker, and also Vera Yuan, who's assistant lecturer from the Faculty of Business and Economic, Economics at the University of Hong Kong. So, Kenneth Leung, let me start with you first. We we heard in the first half of our show some of the problems that um, the SME sector and also the uh, non-profit sector are having with the current crisis. So, looking at what the government could do, maybe what Paul Chan can deliver in today's budget, what would you what would you see as wanting to happen?
0: Well, I, I think um, in the thirty billion dollar. Uh, virus contingency fund which the government uh, got his approval through the finance committee last week. Uh, Within that, I mean, the the government's strategy is to out cash to the entrepreneurs uh, of the SMEs. But how effective this will be if the sole purpose of uh, the rescue package is to retain the employment of um, most of the middle class and the grassroots people, I, I just really doubt because the cash will be in the pockets um, of the entrepreneurs. And I think uh, for this budget, uh, Paul has to target the needy and the middle class because um, the middle class so far have got, not got anything, um, and they suffer quite a lot during uh, the epidemic as well, because some of them are professionals and they couldn't work, and I think there should be some very um, sharp tax rebate or, or cut uh, in the salaries tax, and of course, the uh, SMEs need to be stimulated. We need to stimulate the demand, and of course, one way to stimulate it could be a cash dish out, but um, Judging from the tone of well, what Paul and his associates have been, uh, you know, announcing, it doesn't seem that the the cash dish out is a possibility. And um, because I think uh, he got a big job to do to stimulate the demand and, and the SMEs, and so the manoeuvring uh, which have you know, uh, death left for any cash dish out is quite dismal.
4: Uh, sorry, do you want him to go cash hand out or not
0: well well i think this is not Uh, a financial management or financial discipline topic now the cash dish dish out is like a political demand like a a five demand or a six demand because for the past many many years i think um i would advise the government to be more prudent with cash management because comes one day like like you know what we are facing now um the government will be facing um Four to five years of continuous budget deficit, but it does seem that the cash dish out is a political demand, uh, just to calm um, many people's uh, discontent with the government. This is not really talking about you know financial discipline or
4: financial prudence.
3: So, so but, what would be more useful then instead of a, a cash handout? I mean,
4: I mean, because the but first, uh, well, hang on, stimulate. Okay, in the, I mean, the first part of the program, we were talking to a to a an owner hmm. of a, a, a small business, uh, an SME. Um, you know, how would you help that business? They're facing tough times, very mm-hmm. little, very little work around. Basically, how would you help if you if well, you gave if the employees some money? That's not, not really going to help the business. The money should is it?
0: be, for example, in the Singapore budget last week. The Singapore government uh, has promised to uh, pay out part of the wages paid to the employees as long as uh, the the business retains the employee and and the the government is going to pay up to say for example eight percent of the wages of the employee for three to four months. And if that is the case, then I think part of the job, some of the jobs could be saved. And of course, by stimulating the economy, the government, especially the logistics department, should be purchasing more of the essential items from the SMEs. And if you look at what the logistics department has done and various governments has done, I think, they have given you know, contracts without tendering to you know, uh, non-local companies, for example. So I think that the government's job is to get more purchase done quickly, uh, more procurement from the SMEs.
4: The idea of paying 8% of the wages is, is, is very interesting, um, uh, uh, but um, that would take years, wouldn't it, in Hong Kong no, they, <laughs> to they, sort they, out – I they mean, the advantage of the it, cash it, is speed, isn't it? Yeah. In theory, system, you, you should be able to give it up pretty minister, quickly. Uh, there are
0: various types of proposals of various uh, – political parties, for example, uh, you know, consumption voucher and all that. And I've been told by a minister himself that if there's no such system in Hong Kong, and you want to implement a, a different type of distribution system, it will take up to about 18 months That's to
5: ridiculous. install,
0: design and install the system. And that will help at all mm-hmm. because people will need the help within the next month or so. So I think um, Paul Chan will be back to the old trick of just, you know, having tax rebate, you know, uh, rate rebate, um, uh, maybe a small amount of cash distribution uh, to everyone because he has done it last time and it was quite a bit of disaster because it it takes up to two years for some of the citizens to receive the cash uh, handout. But but this time there is quite a strong political demand is a political uh, demand um, that may not help the economy uh, to a very large extent because people may just save up the money people uh, will not have more if they got more trust in the government they will spend but if they don't have a trust in the future they will just save up the money
3: um, Vera Yuen, let's uh, bring you into the conversation. Vera Yan is Assistant lecturer, lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. Um, looking ahead at what um, we can expect from today's budget, what do you think the economy really needs?
2: think different industry analysts predicted that uh, the economy, um, the quarter one G- GDP will fall by quite a... Huge sum, like by about six to seven percent at least, compared with last years in the same period, and um, and quarter to quarter it should fail by around two point five percent. And I think the government, the overall direction, it's um, the right one because it stimulus I mean, according to Keynesian economics, like you should provide. Um, more stimulus to the economy while it's at the downside of the economic cycle. So government in, you know, the past year has accumulated so such a huge sum of fiscal reserve, and it's a time that it should give it out um, to, you know, help vulnerable households, help the middle class, and also business in, you know, getting through this um, turmoil and, you know, economic recession.
3: And what about, I mean, we talked to Mark Oder in the first half of the program, and he's in the SME sector, and he was complaining that there are schemes out there run by the government, but they're not accessible. They're not easy to uh, apply for, or if you apply for them at, at the very last minute, you don't qualify because of some technicality. How, how can the government make the money actually more accessible? Well, it's a more
2: public administration, uh, station question. I think um giving out stimulus has to be quick and and efficient and to the point that this is um always the you know shortcoming of the government. So um I think both individuals and enterprises should receive um aid as soon as possible. Um giving out cash is a good way and also um people who are already in the system like who are registered in different you know uh, social welfare institutions, etc i think for um, helping those enterprises and smes the government already opt for a you know shorter path um because um it has some considerations in different industry and it has kind of Um, find an industry that already has registration to make it easier. So there's a trade-off between, um, you know, um, knowing whether you have the um, identity in the industry in order to receive and uh, whether you will uh, get to receive it. I think it's just uh, similar to, you know, the social welfare system. There are people who are not registered in the system, but they are, like in need, and so same as the SME, those who are most vulnerable, they may not even have the license and the corresponding, you know, identity in order to get those. So uh, I think it's a trade-off, and the government always has, you know, this kind of problem.
4: Do you think there has been long-term fundamental damage to Hong Kong with this, and with the, and with the the protests and disturbances in in the last part of uh, of uh, last year? Do you think this is a, a long-term? impact
2: well now um i think the analysts, the market analysts are still um, looking to what will happen in the long run it's actually worse um, than the SARS in terms of economic hit it could be because um, hong kong has more business to do with china and this time china uh, is hit um, really badly and uh, the manufacturers they are not um, resuming production to their full capacity and we don't know when it could be. And it actually touches on um, some, you know, major pillars of Hong Kong economy. I think the anti-exposition protest, it doesn't really hurt Hong Kong so much because it only affects, um, you know, retailers and food and beverages and, you know, tourism. So just uh, concentrated in a few sectors, those main you know, pillars of Hong Kong economy like finance, insurance, real estate, they were fine last year. But this year, because these industries did a lot of uh, Chinese business and also it's highly correlated with the Chinese economy. So, um, it could take some time to rebound. And I think the worst thing is because China is now so integrated with the world economy, um, so it did not. it it will not only affect China but there will be second-round effect because you know South Korea Italy they're you know um, getting more affected by the virus so the second-round effect of the like disruption of global supply chain will also feed back on um, you know China and Hong Kong so um, I think for this year uh, it
3: wouldn't be good um, for the whole economic outlook. Um, Vivian, I mean, you know, if you flip it the other way, of course, w- during times of crisis, this is when people have to innovate, people have to rethink and retool. So, you know, is this a, is this in a way a kind of bizarre way that we really take a look at our economy and maybe we have to do some restructuring? I mean, some businesses may have to fail. Well,
2: yes, I I, I do think so. It, you know. A challenge, but also an opportunity. It kind of reshuffle, uh, you know. Those who are already who have the vested interest, they may fail, and you will have some new business that come up after the crisis. Um, but it will happen naturally, and we'll wait and see.
4: Kenneth Lang, what, what are your thoughts on the uh, the long-term impact of uh, this? Well, what sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean And the property as well. I mean, that was a big deal in 2003, wasn't it? The property mm-hmm. market kind of uh, collapsed. There's sort of, I don't know, what's happening with property in Hong Kong, do you know?
0: Well, I, I think there is some uh, slight, you know, uh like, very like sentiment in, in the property market. And I can see the uh, transaction value and transaction volume have fallen in the past month. But it's not a kind of um, uh, landslide, you know, um, uh, reduction in price. I, I, I haven't seen this. But in fact, um, some, in some areas, the, the, the residential uh, property prices still holding up strongly. But of course, there is a very strong demand from the retailers generally to ask for the landlord to reduce um, uh, the rent. But, but because of already you know that the, the, the rental, um, you know, commanded by the, those shopping malls and, and the high street shops are really um, the top one or two, um, you know, uh, ranking in the world. And uh, there need to be a, a huge adjustment, downward adjustment in the rental value in order for these retail business, those businesses. Uh, which have physical stores to survive. And they're talking about a huge reduction, something like uh, up to 50 or 60%. And some of the big landlords have been quite nicely um, forfeit some of the, the, the rental, uh, you know, um, uh, you know uh, and asked for. They, they, they offer uh, some rent-free periods for, for a few weeks up to a couple of months. But it still seems that the retail sector is struggling.
3: Well, the, and I, yeah. the, the retail sector is struggling all over the world. I mean, people are moving away from bricks and mortar shops into online shopping, etc. So yeah. maybe that's yeah,
0: that is one of the factors. But I think the the Hong Kong situation is exacerbated by the fact that one, we are too reliant on 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 the people, uh, the tourists from the mainland, and that was a ninety percent drop, and in, and in, in, in the people came across the border, and um, of course our um, uh, you know rent is one of the highest you know, city in the world. And there would be, of course, a, a major reshuffling in a in type of business that after the, the whole epidemic is finished. And this reshuffling, could, we, we could see, of course, one is the, you know, the retail business, they need to restructure, they need to go online. And secondly, maybe um, even for our tourist industry and in other types of industry, we need to diversify, we need to attract people from all over the world and cannot be too reliant on a single or a source of a you know a consumer and certainly maybe um the health industry and the innovative um industry in hong kong we, we need to spend more time and need to focus on that because uh, as you know even the making of the these um uh, you know uh, safety equipments for, for medical workers and uh, the Madison, maybe. They're, they're in really short supply in the supply chain, and it would be good if Hong Kong can domestically produce some of these products in the long term.
3: Mm. Uh, it's interesting talking about um, not being so reliant on one uh, partner, that partner obviously being China, because that's yeah, what, obviously what we've been China going towards. Yeah,
0: obviously, the tourism industry. And because if we are to be a world city, we need to attract people from all over the world, um, to to come to Hong Kong, to trade with Hong Kong, to do business with Hong Kong, and to visit Hong Kong. And this is a good thing
3: in the long run. Uh, Vera Yan, what what do you think of that? I mean, we can see noticeably the fact that, one, we have no Chinese tourists coming to Hong Kong anymore, Um, but also the fact that over the last 10, 15 years, we've been orienting ourselves more towards China, whether it's through formal uh, processes or just uh, on an informal basis. Will this kind of thing fundamentally change the way Hong Kong is in the future?
2: Well, it depends on um, China. I think tourism is not really like the very major you know pillar of Hong Kong because it's it plays at the fourth, but it's much smaller than you know finance. Real estate and you know trading logistics. So I think the major um, economic driver of Hong Kong is still, are still um, you know the comparative advantage of financial center. We have good professional services. We're at um, the center of. And
4: and those things, those things are doing okay, are they? The financial services and are they? They seem to be relatively unaffected. Is that right by the coronavirus?
2: Yeah, you're asking whether Hong Kong should reorient. Mm-hmm. I think it's still the competitive advantage. So even, you know, during the crisis, after the crisis, it's still, you know, Hong Kong has the best and the unique position, you know, between the two big powers. And it will still be a financial center rather than, you know, doing other stuff um, that it is not used to be.
4: K- Kenneth Long, do 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 you agree with that? That, um, well, that, that I, perhaps I, I you know the main the pillars are still there. The
0: financial sector is still holding up quite well, and of course the other big you know output from Hong Kong is the professional services. And uh, of course there will be some slowing down, of course, in the uh, IPO and um, in the fundraising uh, uh, activities. Hmm. There will be a slowdown globally. I mean, it is not just a Hong Kong issue. But I agree that. As far as, as long as we are still having this advantage compar- advantage, because of our legal system, because of our, our professionalism, I think the financial services and the professional services sectors are, are, are very key sectors which Hong Kong um, uh, need to rely on. And we, we need to diversify as well because the, the fundraising activities, we are not just, you know, um, you know, doing this just for the Chinese mainland companies. We need to attract. Um, companies from all over the world to use this platform to, to tap into this Hong Kong market.
3: Do you think that we've been a bit too focused on China in the recent years, and and have been a bit lax in attracting those other uh, people, other companies from around well, the world? Well,
0: I can say this because there's a lot of uh, Chinese companies they want to to raise uh, you know capital, and Hong Kong is naturally the very close market to them. But of course, I mean. Um, these exchange and uh, the other promoters can, you know, uh, you know exert more efforts to market uh, our capability, our attractiveness to other companies, uh, especially in, in the newly developed economies in, in South America or Middle East or the traditionally, um, you know, market like Europe and, and North America. And I don't think they, they have exerted enough effort doing so. And, and because China... Uh, to a certain extent, comparatively speaking, is quite an um, easy target and because a lot of companies in China uh, are eager um, to go worldwide to raise capital. And Hong Kong is naturally um, uh, the market to raise capital for
4: okay. Well, Kenneth Long, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, today. He's a uh, lawmaker for the uh, Accountancy Functional Constituency. And many thanks to Vera Yoon. She's an assistant lecturer in the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. Karen, many thanks uh, to you. you. Uh, A couple more emails. John and Sai Kung. This is in relation to that uh, woman who has been confirmed as having the virus, who's a member of the Jockey Club. Uh, john Sai kung says hi jockey club has only partially closed their clubhouse please ask the jockey club how did the infected person teleport into and out of the jockey club without using the entrance lobby lift lobbies corridors lifts etc surely the whole facility should be shut and cleansed no horses are more important that comes from john Sai kung and uh, mark says uh, coronavirus what's it like to be sick Do you have any input what it's like to have the coronavirus? Is it just like a really bad cold or like battling pneumonia or very serious bronchial infection or other? Uh, Thank you, Mark. Good question. I think it depends, but uh, it's a question we could put to a doctor. Another time, because we're focusing on the money uh, mostly for the rest of this week. We have the financial secretary, of course, giving the uh, budget speech at eleven o'clock today. Tune in for that, uh, and then uh, tune in on Friday morning uh, as well, when uh, we you can talk directly to the chief to the uh, to the financial secretary, uh, calling in on the usual number two three three eight eight two six six to chat to the FS. That's between eight and nine, a little earlier than the regular back chat, uh, and that will. be coming up on friday morning karen many thanks to you thank you thanks to also to our producer noreen Mia and also to uh michelle chan as well the researcher the weather forecast it's going to be fine coastal mist at first warm during the day maximum temperature 27 degrees the outlook windier in the next couple of days warm and humid over the weekend 23 degrees now the humidity is at 85 percent To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth, and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. 9.33, 9.33, the News Now with Samantha Butler.
1: A senior official from the World Health Organization has warned countries to prepare immediately for the further spread of the coronavirus. Bruce Aylwood said many nations simply weren't ready to contain the disease. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, says she'll today announced details of chartered flights to rescue Hong Kong residents in virus-stricken Hubei province. In a social media post, she said mainland and local officials had met to discuss how to transport the evacuees to the airport, as well as minimize public health risks on board the flights and quarantine arrangements in Hong Kong. And candidates seeking the U.S. Democratic Party's presidential nomination are holding their latest television debate days before the South Carolina primary. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning.
4: Good morning. Morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to
3: you, too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good night. Fine,
4: thank you.
1: Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are
4: you? Good morning. How are you? Good to see you.
1: On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.
4: Morning. Actually, today it's just guest. Welcome to the programme anyway, it's Morning Brew Light this Wednesday, because at 11 we're going to be broadcasting the
3: 2020 budget speech. Live, after an overture, of course, from Peter Lewis and Hugh Chiverton. Before that, though, in a few minutes, off to visit the sunny Caribbean for our weekly catch-up with vet nurse and founder of Nevis Animal Speak, Janice Jensen. We get to see that sunset today, because she videoed it just for you, so we'll put that on Facebook Live. Join us if you can. Morning Brew is the page. Normal service will resume tomorrow, if, of course, we can afford it.